Welcome everybody to the Startup Blender, the podcast about startup life and some other stuff. All right, I think it's working. Uh, hello, everybody. My name is Ucha. This is the Startup Blender podcast. And today is a very special day for us because we have a special guest from Startup Wise Guys, Chris Tobal. How are you? Hey, very good, very good. Waiting for the spring to come, but everything else is good. Everything else is good. Amazing. Where are you currently based? I'm actually, well, where I'm based is always an interesting question, even in COVID times, but I'm actually right now in Riga. So You're in Riga. What I, yeah, that's what I spend. I would say 50% of my personal choice time, at least, I, I, I spend it in Riga. Yeah, yep. That's great, but originally you're from Spain, right? Yeah, originally I'm from Spain, but uh, probably we'll cover that later. But I, I think I have been in Spain for uh, the last 21 years. So I will say that apart, uh, before COVID, I used to spend most of my vacation time there. Uh, I haven't been in Spain for 14, uh, 15 months now. Uh, when I was a student, I did my Erasmus internship for the whole summer in Barcelona. And mm-hmm. so amazing. I fell in love so much. All right, let's uh, talk about that later. But now, tell us about yourself. Yeah, well, as uh, kind of jokingly talked to my team, I'm almost like grandpa now telling the stories and being on, on, on this world for um, for quite a while. And in the startup world also for a long time. But I kind of, I would say, born, born in Spain. Uh, my father is, uh, well, well, is because he's retired, but he's with us still. He's a civil engineer, so we move a lot as kids. Uh, bridge here, uh, road there, highway here. So kind of got used to this uh, nomad life, but I don't think it was a digital nomad. It was a family nomad life. Then uh, after my parents kind of settled, uh, I, uh, you will see me in full person. Uh, I played professional basketball. Uh, so I spent time in the US, went back to Spain, moved. So I kind of moved on my own for four or five more different cities. And then after that was gone and finished my college, uh, I decided that I want to always do international business. So I think the last time I presented, I've been professionally living in 40 cities, in three continents, 25 countries. I actually went through the exercise to count each of them and all the cities. Oh, shit, yeah, I've done all of those. So been moving into many, many, many countries. Uh, we'll say the last 10 years, my focus is what we call now the, the new Europe. So Central Eastern Europe, uh, Baltics, I spent some time with Nordics, CIS. Um, I will, will say my personal life, I commute between Copenhagen and Riga. Well, of course, spent a lot, a lot of time uh, in Tallinn, in Lithuania, uh, before COVID in Ukraine, Turkey, so those kind of, Places that I could go at some point home if needed, but we have a lot of our founders. Uh, professionally, I would say I have three steps in my career, also in management consulting uh, for eight, nine years, mostly working with uh, mobile operators. Uh, I think I was over in 11 countries doing that. Um, love it, love the, both the lifestyle and the content. And it was obviously early 2000, so mobile operation was something almost the forefront of technology and everything happened there, getting WAP, mobile data. So it was the early times of doing that. Uh, and then from 2004 onwards, I kind of 
switch between a, an stint in a corporate role, usually in a mobile operator, in a CXO position, strategy, operations, technology, it depends. Then go to startup, uh, grow it, bust it, run out of money, go back to corporate stint, do three years, replenish, more experience, start up again. So now my third flow of doing that, and hopefully the last, it looks like it. So we said that's a very quick summary and then I can tell you millions of other anecdotes and all of those steps and different things that happened there. But I would say that's kind of a, a, the three-step process to, to see where we are today. Exactly, yeah. You have such a diverse background of working with different kinds of companies and building stuff and you know coming back to corporate and then to startup. I have this question. What were the challenge, main challenges for you to start your startup journey? Because... You know the corporate life is a little bit it's totally different as I, I imagine and startup life is more kind of risky it has a lot of challenges so what, what were you things that you overcame to um, actually start this yeah to tell you the truth i have i have never looked at life from the risk point of view um my grandfather was an entrepreneur at some point in his life he was doing a, a cement manufacturing facility in spain my dad took at some point also and created his own company in the engineering consulting space. So, uh, you know, I am 167.57 in American. I play professional basketball. Uh, so to me, this concept of risk is something that people just uh, overdo. So I said sometimes it's a way to maybe have excuse to yourself about what not to do things. Uh, of course, sometimes we have financial obligations. And I think we have trade-offs in life in which by doing certain things, we cannot do others, right? And by doing startups, you obviously commit financial trade-offs of things you might not be able to do. Right? Uh, but what I agree with you, uh, so to make my first jump, my only challenge was to find something that I wanted to, to jump into. And when the opportunity came, I jumped it, right? So I think it was as simple as that. Uh, and it came through a, a friends of mine, a, an acquaintances, a combination, in a space that I kind of felt that I could start in value, etc. But I think, but there are two very different roles. And I was interested in talking this morning with a colleague of mine in London, asking me, in a way, what is that big difference, right? And I always say that is there is a in, inbox outbox model, right? So incorporate your biggest skill is that you get a lot of people coming in, and you need to filter, right? So you have vendors that want to talk to you. Customers that want to talk to you and you filter who you pay attention to, right? When you're in a startup, nobody talks to you. If you don't send emails, your inbox is empty, right? And there is nobody to do anything for you. You don't tell your secretary, your analyst, no, no, it's you, right? So it's a model in which you actually, whatever you have to do outbox, you know, you need to start sending so somebody will respond to you. And obviously 90% of people you send, they say no, right? Uh, so incorporate the other one saying no, the one filtering and, and the, you're receiving and receiving and receiving. In the startup, you are sending, sending, sending uh, and you want somebody to tell you yes, right? And I think few people can combine both roles or be comfortable in both roles, but they're very, very different skills. So that's why I think, you know, when you talk about salespeople, the, the fact that you have been very good at selling in a corporate environment doesn't mean that you can sell in a startup environment, right? Uh, some people do. But yeah. very, few, very, very few people enjoy 
both roles because I think that's the key. If you're enjoying what you're doing, you end up being good at it, right? That's true. And also, I think that if, uh, if you're, for example, startup entrepreneur, you need to have this kind of salesman mindset too. You, you have to always be ready to pitch mm -hmm. and yeah. tell your idea. So you're not necessarily like a salesperson as, as a profession, but you need to be able to sell. Yeah, you, I did. Uh, but but even, even if you ask me, even within a startup, there are the very different moments, right? So, and there is people, for example, who already after they are 20, they don't like to be in that startup because it's not a startup anymore. It's a scale-up, right? And the skills that are necessary to manage 20 people, 50 people, 100 people are completely different, right? So even within a startup, people might, I know many people who like to start projects, get the first kind of, and the moment things become too specialized, they like to go back to startup because what they like is the, the moment in which they're doing everything, right? They're in the middle of everything, etc. But the moment you need to start putting order, planning, efficiency, say, oof, this is not for me. And there's a very creative, maybe very jello uh, personality. Uh, you know, so I think even within, let's say, the, the life, the lifeline uh, or the value chain of a startup, there are very different moments, right? And some people can go through all of them. Some people struggle and some people clearly knows what they like and what they don't. And they just don't jump into other roles. And that's, it's, it's all fair, right? It's all about, again, understanding who you are, understanding the trade-offs that you're finding in all of these areas. Absolutely, yeah. I can absolutely agree on that. Uh, I see a lot of people in the startup world and yeah, you, you should understand what you want and then do it, act accordingly, you know? Yeah, and it's a difficult life. It's not a life for everybody. I think everybody should try to be an entrepreneur at some point. But I will say that there is a very good rule that 95% of people should never be entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. uh, the uncertainty, the, the roller coaster of emotions that happens there, they are not for everybody. They, are very, they can be very uh, taxing on your health, on your spirits, on your family life. So you need to enjoy it. You need to be ready for that, right? And I think most people is not. It's just too hard, and that's fine. Also, like, it's not the pain. Entrepreneurs are superheroes, but they live under a very different environment. And I think sometimes people is romanticizing too much. They like, oh, be your own boss, blah blah blah. And those are not the startups that might be kind of lifestyle businesses, not the startups. So two very different things. Uh, the amount of pressure on a startup is you need to keep going all the time until you exit. Uh, and that's that's the life that it is and some people love it but it, it is not an easy life so you need to love it to really be the life that you want to have right? love it before you start all right mm -hmm. on this note uh, let's start talking about uh, the organization that you founded a couple of years ago <laughs> the startup wise guys a very popular one in pub uh, baltics has helped a lot of uh, startups uh, to become like uh, scalable and uh, later unicorns. So tell us about the founding story of uh, Startup Wise Guys. How, how did it start? What was the name? Yeah, well, let me, allow me to correct you a bit on that, but we've been almost around for 10 years. Sure. Uh, I didn't found Startup Wise Guys. I was, funny enough, I was founding another accelerator in Lithuania. Wow. I was founded six months before, it was a Startup Highway, but it was basically the same person so John Bradford uh, was kind of a, 
the guy going around Eastern Europe and kind of finding in, in most of the ecosystems uh, entrepreneurs that kind of are selling the story that to be, which I think was true, that to become a, a, an active ecosystem, you need to have a good accelerator at the core of those ecosystems. That would be the first kind of a, the seed of a lot of things happening, right? Mentorship, investments, etc. So he was first in Lithuania. He was talking mostly to talking to, to Rokas and a group of investors, Rokas Tomasunas, who now runs a, a VC in Lithuania. And at the same time, I have been in a startup bootcamp in Spain, helping the team there. I said, oh, we need to bring this to Lithuania. That's what I was at that time. Uh, which kind of people say, hey, you're thinking the same as this other guy, Rokas, talk to each other. So we talked to each other. He wanted to be operational. So I was on the board there. But then John was there. I said, by the way, I'm talking with a group of people in Estonia. Oh, okay, Are we creating these wise guys? I said, okay, thank you. Um, you know, the fun part is that Andris Bersins, which is now one of the largest VCs in the Baptist Change Ventures, uh, was the first MD helping that to run, and Herty was there. So I was, since the beginning, mentoring the team. So Rokas and I were there, met Herty, met all the teams. So I've been mentoring uh, non-stop uh, teams and batches until batch uh, six. So I knew the MDs, so Andres, Mike Rayner, then uh, Callum uh, Cameron. Uh, and at that point, yeah, I think I was basically finishing with my last venture, Mobile 3, that was between Lithuania and Africa. Uh, and I was thinking, okay, what do I do? It was probably the first time that I was thinking what to do, that I have not decided what to do. I talked to Callum, who knew very well. I said, dude, you are the guy to, to take this. Uh, and I kind of Talk to her today. I'm only, you know, nice. This wise guy is very nice, but it's very small. It's too boutique. So, you know, it, and he said to me, hey, Christopher, you know, we are refounding wise guys together. So, what's your vision? Let's align on a vision and a purpose. And if we align, we have carte blanche to try. This is our startup, right? So, we, we spent one month, month and a half. Uh, with this document on the vision, sharing back and forth. And then we said, yeah, let's do it, right? Uh, and we kind of said, let's refund the, uh, the company is 50-50. So we also had this principle, everything is 50-50. So that eliminates conflicts in the future. Are you doing more? Everything is 50-50. And when we have added DAC, etc. And at that point, we said, okay, let's do the first test. Let's bring this to Riga and see if we can scale the model in a different city. So we brought to Riga, Doug, and so Gita Polanska, Sane, so people who are still today in the company, and Doug, who is actually one of our partners. And we did batch seven in Riga. I said, this works, right? So the next test was, can we do two batches at the same time in the same city, which we did. And it works. I said, OK, now can we do two batches at the same time in two different cities, which we did. Uh, and then everything led that we did three batches in three different cities at the same time. Uh, this thing was in the fall, everything was online. So three cities is a bit of a, a way to put it. Uh, so we basically been doubling the scale. So we went from making 60 investments in the first five years to have make 104 investments, you know, 180 investments uh, in the next basically four years, right? So almost tripling. And that's gonna be our philosophy, which if we are asking our startups to do 3x, 4x, we need to do 3x and 4x ourselves. Absolutely. And we also know in the, at the end of the day, in the acceleration, which has been early stage investment, uh, 
three, four, five guys are going to be the brands that dominate the world, the brands that everybody wants to go. Very clear that one is Y Combinator, probably Y Tech Stars. It's going to be 500 startups. We'll see how that ended up. And in Europe, we said we're going to be one of those two top two brands, which I think is Rockstar and us. Uh, and now we want to basically be give no reason to anybody in our region, and our region for us is the entire new Europe, at least, and probably Africa, that wants to go global, to go any other place than to us. In fact, in the future, so why go to Y Combinator if I can't go to Wise Guys? Philosophy, as a philosophy, right? Um, so yeah, we have a 10 year plan now, 2030 plan. So this is, you know, we are evolving. And just to give you an anecdote, I was, I, I created this weekend, and the strategy in a, in a one pager, because it was, a, you know, we need to have one pager even for our own strategy. And I shared it with one of my, with my Italian partner. And he told me, no, no, it's clear, you know, here, but maybe a bit too bold, a bit too ambitious. Uh -huh. uh, I said, nothing is too bold. Meaning, you know, I think that's our philosophy. We aim very high. Every time we have put a, we did the 2020 strategy, we did it in 2019, have 2023 strategy, I think we got to it earlier. So I think that's, again, is putting this ambitious uh, thinking, but with impact and clearly measurable direction, that it helps also the startups to think the same way and the community to think. So, and you have seen my post lately. So I want to do Baltics 10x, right? So what the whole region. So in fact, I had unicorn as a terminology. I think we we should increase the entire. So I think 10 companies, 500 million have way more impact than one unicorn. Even if the valuation together is the same, but in employment, taxes, founder stories, role models, I think it's what much bigger. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, I agree because. I think they make more impact, and then these people are looking up to them. And I have a million, it's a lot of money. I mean, like, that's like, I, I know in my own experience how, how difficult it is to create 1 million of revenues, and then 5 million of revenues, and then 10 million of revenues. This is not easy at all, right? People sometimes say, oh, 1 billion. So 1 billion is a valuation. Look at the revenues, and look at making those sales, and looking at the people and the due to make those sales and to support those sales, right? So, I know how hard it is to get to those to these points, right? So it's not an easy journey, and I think we need to honor every entrepreneur yeah. who reaches things like one million, five million, ten million revenues. This is a, an amazing achievement to celebrate, and let's celebrate less these seven unicorns. Maybe celebrate more these five hundred companies, maybe in the region, who can reach those levels and become role models for the next generation of founders. Right? Yeah, that's true. I have this one question. Uh, so Startup Wise Guys is present in so many different cities right now. So where do you see the biggest interest from startups? Because there are a lot of different factors, I guess, right? Like in Estonia, the startups have so many different opportunities. Yeah, uh, let, let's put it this way. I think we, our philosophy has always goes to go to markets that are underserved. Let's go on. So I don't like the work emerging underdeveloped, it's underserved. And for us, underserved is that there is a more talent than money and infrastructure. And that usually in Eastern Europe means the small countries, but that can be countries like Romania with 44 million uh, countries or the case of Italy, uh, which we have gone because there is way more talent. There is, I think it was 14.4 VCs in Italy. There is more VCs in the Baltics in the whole of Italy, which is the eighth economy in the world, which is, makes no sense whatsoever, right? 
So I think the, the characteristics that we go to markets that are underserved and we go to markets that we can have an impact. In a way, also, we like to be a bit of a maverick. I don't want to go to established place to battle the big guys. I want to become the big guy in a challenger environment, right? So for us, we like the Baltics because when people were talking about uh, all the hubs of Europe, Berlin, Stockholm, Helsinki, and I was thinking like, they will never bother to say the Baltics because they have to put these cities together. But I do see the axis of Tallinn, Riga, uh, Vilnius, you know, can put counters, but as one of the top five axes in Europe, in my opinion, when we talk about capital efficiency and usage, right? Uh, I see Kiev clearly as another one. I see Istanbul, Ankara as another one. I see Romania clearly. I would love to see Poland the same way. I think the government has making the wrong strategy, but if you look at the size and the technical talent there, it is. We have gone to Italy, same, uh, probably the cheapest country in terms of technical talent in the developed in Western Europe. We see the West Balkans, the nine countries of the former, the nine, seven, depending how you measure them, but of the former Yugoslavia, the same thing. So it's all these places where uh, there is a lot of technical talent. I think there is this element of pride that they want to prove something also, that hey, we're coming from behind, but we're going to show you. And we call all of these the new Europe, right? And actually we see Africa in the same position, which is one of the places we want to focus. And then maybe the other axis is verticals, right? So there is, we've always been in B2B, that's our core bread, but we used to be SaaS only. Then we did FinTech. Now we see now we've done cybersecurity and defense, which to me is a, a place where we have so much to do. I think the other one that we really feel very strongly is sustainability and sustainability has many different areas, energy, mobility, education, but again, we, we always wanted to have an impact. We have done it through impact on founders. Yeah. I think if we can have an impact through founders and verticals uh, changing the world, I think we are in a unique decade that will impact probably the next two or three centuries to come if we do it right. And hopefully we can add our little, uh, little seat there on this change. Right? Absolutely. And uh, speaking of, about this uh, European countries, I hear a lot of great things about Lisbon. Uh, in Portugal in general, but it's, it becomes more like a, uh, the place for digital nomads, you know, to go and work from there. In everybody wants to be the something of something else, right? I think Lisbon has done a, a very smart positioning, uh, not trying to be the Barcelona of Portugal. Okay. That doesn't make any sense, right? But, but again, they have unique things. Uh, they, one of them, for example, being in Spain, the weather is almost the same, is that the English usage is much better over the population. Uh, but, you know, so I think each city needs to find a is why you want people to come there, why you want international talent to come there, which to me is fundamental in, in this global world. But then also is, is try not to compete with others, but to collaborate with others, right? And this is, I think, something that we put, try to put on people's brain from the beginning. The Baltics is like, who cares if Riga is better than Tallinn or the billions? Nobody cares but us. What people care is about the region. Is the region producing sufficiently quality startups, talent, etc.? The same thing when we went in Israel to Budapest to talk to them. Guys, don't compare yourself with Bucharest to Budapest. Who cares? Help each other. Collaborate with each other. Uh, that's what we need to do. So I think it's putting this collaboration angle that makes all of the cities uh, much better. The other day, Silicon Valley is China and it's the rest. 
if you want to put it in almost as blended. So I think Europe as a whole, you will have many hubs. Our difference is that way easier to collaborate between the European countries that is almost to work within the states in the US yeah, or even between provinces in China. Uh, so I think that's our strength that we need to make it more and more and more uh, at play. Right? That's amazing, yeah. I'm really looking forward to see your 10-year plan executing uh, because I, was, I moved in Estonia five years ago and I, I've seen like startup wise guys developing uh, all the time. Myself, I was uh, working more closely with Garage 48. I was a volunteer and then working. Uh, and now, now this project. So yeah, uh, really looking forward to see the results. Uh, yeah, yeah. I see that. Uh, let me be more female. I like the process also. I think, yeah. of course, the results are amazing. Yeah. But I think going through the process, um, you know, I'm managing a company that has today 40 people. It used to be three people, right? So I think the the personal challenges as a CEO, I have to grow also to do different things that I used to do, hire different people. We have, I think it's 12 nationalities in 37 people, we have 70% of the team is female. Uh, you know, we have a very different ages between the team and all COVID obviously has made all of these, the, the difficulties and challenges explode because we, I think I have not met my last 10 employees that we have hired, we have not met in person yet. I have a guy in, in Australia, supposedly moving to Tartu, spending 14 months. I have right now, I don't know, have five Latvians living in Barcelona, four Ukrainians that have moved to Turkey until this is over. So again, so many people that I have not met in person and we are managing through uh, online these days. So I think it creates uh, of course, it is what it is, and we are taking advantage of the positive part of it. But as, as human beings and uh, people who love to have fun, uh, it's not been a, an easy time, even if we, I think we, we took what it came and we actually growing even more than before in this environment. Yeah, that's amazing. And once again, it's great to see all the development that Startup Wise guys uh, have. Um, let's uh, talk about your book right now. Um, I saw, and the name is uh, very interesting, The Unsexy Truth about uh, Startup Success. Um, so what is this truth about? Tell us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, the book is Perform uh, the Unsexy Truth of Startup Success, and a startup is between parentheses, uh, signifying that we believe, and we testing it more and more and more, that this is not just for startups, this is for projects within companies, this is a even SMBs, companies growing. So it's a methodology. Now, I think, I think the whole point is that people is obsessed about the pitching, uh, the valuations, uh, the, the sexy side of the business, right? Uh, being talking in the press, all these things. Um, and 90% of them are in fact um, not under their control. Uh, there is a number of things that are our control, which is, you know, what is the culture that we develop in the company? How do we plan the resources? Uh, how do we define responsibilities? All of those things you hear, it's like boring, right? Uh, but those are the fundamentals of creating a strong company and a strong foundation. Uh, and as I cannot say now, I've done a couple of uh, keynotes lately, there is one thing that startups are great at, and it's called wasting. 
No, they are fantastic. They want to be sustainable, and they are the biggest waste. They waste time. They waste money because there is three or four guys trying to do everything. So it means they are terrible at everything, right? The only thing they have is more passion and more drive users than anybody else. But they're wasting. I think this was 300% of the capital is wasted. 33% uh, of the marketing spending is wasted, right? So I think this idea about trying to be very efficient, very good, plan very well, is, is a fundamental truth. But again, it's not sexy, right? I think the second part that we touch a lot in the, in, within the methodology is the whole area about maybe people call it today mental health as a big thing, but it's about the energy, the mental toughness. Uh, you know, we, we developed this mini framework called energy. Again, it's about how do you eat? How do you rest? What do you drink? Uh, how do you enjoy? What do you have fun? Which I think has just become even more relevant uh, on today's time where, you know, you have a temple, it's your body. And you as a CEO co-founder, you're responsible for your temple and your team's temples. If those are there, we'll go through everything. If those are not there, we'll just die. And not, not only uh, metaphysically or not only from a company point of view, right? So I think if you combine this kind of set the right direction, divide the responsibilities, plan, plan efficiency, communicate well, take care of your body, be resilient. Uh, I think we have a very good opportunity. And in fact, we have done research that that increases almost by 50% your chance of success. That's what we said this day. It's a truth, it's unsexy. You know it already. Nothing until you right now is new. But if you follow a methodology and a process, I think the chances that you're successful are much bigger, right? And, and that has been kind of the, 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 the motor of, or the engine of driving this book, right? That's true because I see that uh, like the startup as a trend is becoming bigger than ever and everybody really wants to be an entrepreneur. Everybody has solution to something for some people, like some ridiculous ideas they, they are telling me, like Tinder for hamsters or something like, something like that. And I think, yeah, these kind of books are really needed to, for people to be more grown. Yeah, and um, we want to take a bit uh, the romanticism out of the equation, right? So yeah. I start, there is nothing romantic about a startup, about a startup life. There might be, you know, but a startup life is not romantic at all, right? So we want the plain truth to be there, even if it's unsexy. But we want people to know what are you getting into and what do you need to master uh, to be to, to be great at it, right? About running a company. At the other day, with nothing else than running companies. We can call it a startup because you give it a nice title, but we're trying to run companies to grow and to inspire people around us to keep to go with that, in that journey, right? So I think we we wanted this, you know, the it's not the untold story, but the 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 this again, I go in people talking about unicorns and making you know unicorns, it's almost metaphysical, mythical. It's like why are we making Something like this is there's nothing mythical on, on, on this, right? I want the hardcore truth out there, guys. This is damn hard to make it happen. It will take you 10 years, and if you get lucky, you have a 10% to make it. That's the hard truth. The, the, that's, that's the untold story. Now, how can we increase our chances if we take that decision to make it? And at, at a minimum, a, have fun on the journey, B, be alive after the journey. So if you want to do it, you can do it again, right? And, and that's the thing we, uh, again, I think that's where the link between the book and Wise Guys is very similar, right? Uh, we, we, we tell you how, things how they are, 
Yeah, and sometimes that's not what you want to listen to, but that's the truth that is out there. Uh, and, and hopefully that will, over time, allow all of us to make better decisions, which is at the end of the day, probably how you get more probabilities to be successful. Exactly, and it absolutely correlates with our project as well. Um, we as a project are trying to show you different uh, stories of startup life so that then you can make right choices and not like everybody wants to be a CEO and the founder. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So I always see us uh, as coaches, right? Like I tell you what's the drill. I tell you to do it a thousand times and I need to put the right players on the field, but I'm not shooting the ball, man. That's your company, right? Uh, so that's the we put the right content in front of you. We tell you to read it. We ask you to try to, to do you understand it? Can I help you? Can I guide you? But I, I'm not doing an exam. I'm not trying you to memorize it. So if you look at the book also, one of the key kind of decisions uh, Stoya and my co-author and myself did was we wanted to be extremely practical. So we have a basically case studies uh, in every one page of theory, there is two case studies. And we wanted to be case studies from the region. So I'm a bit tired of Mark Zuckerberg and Simon Sinek and all these examples from the US. There is so many people on the corner of your street who you don't know about who's doing amazing things, right? So there is, I think we have stories about 14, 15 different countries from the region, of course, Estonia, uh, Ukraine, Denmark, Bulgaria, uh, Turkey, about amazing founders that you don't even know who they are, but that they have an amazing experience to serve, right? And of course, we leverage our portfolio-wise guys, but also uh, our wider network, historians, uh, connections in, uh, in the Balkans. So, and, and which also makes that the book can always continue to be written because there will be new stories, new things coming out, and we want those people to be the role models of the future. Yeah, that's true. And I, to be honest, uh, I just recently stumbled upon to the book and I'm really looking forward to reading it. Um, all right, the next question. Looking forward to your feedback. Let's see what you think on, <laughs> sure. on this one. So, um, uh, I have this question about uh, like you being uh, so working closely with so many startups through Startup Wise Guys. Where do you see these trends are going? Because the way I see it in, in the startup world, the way I see it, the more, more and more individual creators are coming up. Like if you see five years ago, everybody was into companies, they wanted to solve these global problems. But now there are more individual people who are creating their channel, YouTube or start a blog and just uh, like content creators. So what do you think, where, where are the trends going? What are the biggest uh, like uh, fields that people are getting more and more interested in? And uh, yeah, what are your thought about, thoughts about it? Yeah, well, I think the last 12 to 18 months probably are changing things a lot. Yeah. Uh, I think the content creation uh, feels like that. I think there is a trend that is unstoppable, which is that uh, people will be doing many things at the same time. I think there will be a lot of entrepreneurs who at the same time are content creators. And a lot of it will be economical reasons, but all the time so it's just diversification of fun reasons. I want to do three of things because I, we will have to reinvent ourselves in terms of skills every five to 10 years. You know, if you look at the speed of evolution in the last 50 years, you know, if you would have not learned nothing in the last 20 years, you probably you couldn't get a job right now, right? At least in Western Europe. In Europe. Well, if you move between the 60s and the 1975, 
probably was okay, right? Yeah, we need to kind of polish their skills. So, so we need to reinvent ourselves. So it does make sense, you know, we need to be listening to content, creating content, be active in different places, make sure that we keep our brain active and learning, right? So I think that's one trend that is clear there. But with everything that has happened, I think the second trend is that is digitalization of everything, A, and the sustainability and impact, right? So I think everybody has realized how fragile the, the, I'm sure there's still people saying, oh, there is no global warming, there is no this, there will be still ne, ne, people, there's still people negating that COVID exists. So that's, you know, that tells you the, the, but it is clear that we need to rethink how we use resources, which is what to me sustainability is all about. Energy, mobility, education, everything. So I think there will be more and more people working on that. I think obviously the challenges of vaccinations in this case, but the whole area of medtech, biotech, it will also be where more people will go, more efforts. And the third thing is everything that is related to digitalization, right? So can be education, which I think was almost denied. Everybody knew that education was not working in most countries anymore. But I think the fact when everybody was sent home and we gave teachers the, okay, now keep teaching, say, well, I have not been trained for 20 years. How do you want me now to work in this environment? And suddenly we are equipping teachers back, hopefully and investing on their future and how we do it. But anything that has to do with digitalization, that's why cybersecurity, for example, becomes 10 times more relevant because when everything is electronic, data is everywhere, how do we protect that data and how we protect every single individual, not just the big corporations that have money for these solutions, right? Uh, so I think anything around digitalization is big, which goes back to also states, right? And I think that's, for example, where Estonia is at the forefront. And this is why maybe if you were in the Baltics, of course, there there's been a lot of uncomfort around COVID, but many, most things have keep working. Governments, uh, lawyers, uh, taxes. Uh, so there was obviously some limitations, but it, you, we don't understand, I think we don't realize that in countries like Spain and Italy, for three months, you couldn't go to, the, to a judge. Yeah. The law was stopping. You couldn't go to do an administration now. Uh, you couldn't register. I sold my house in... January 2020 in Spain, I couldn't register the sale until July because it was closed. You couldn't, but I sold it. My, my, the guy who bought it said, like, you, I said, I said, what do you want me to do? Like, I cannot, A, I cannot fly there. I cannot give a power of authority because I cannot go to a register and do it for my father. And my father cannot go anywhere because he goes, it's closed. We'll let you know when it's open. And there is not a single opportunity to do this online, right? And I think it's been a big wake-up call for a lot of these very large states. And in that sense, we are at the forefront, which we also, we are way more vulnerable from cybersecurity. Thus, for Estonia and for the rest of the Celtic countries, cybersecurity is a priority because we understand that all our society runs online. So protecting that data is fundamental, right? So anything that has to do around digitalization in any means will also be the trend, right? Yeah, that's true. And I completely agree with that. Uh, people are trying to put more and more money into this thing. Um, universities are opening up like new master's courses for cybersecurity. So. Well, I think universities, um, I tell you that universities and business schools will look nothing like they look today in 10 years from now. I think Absolutely. it's one of the sectors that I think is going to go on the massive dis disruption. Uh, I think only the big, big guys today in terms of brands will manage to coexist as they are with changes, but there's going to be huge 
new entrants. I know I we have invested in two or three uh, companies that are not making software, but are actually making education different, right? Uh, but I think there's going to be a, a humongous amount of disruption about how do we learn, how do we teach, how do we collaborate on the educational fields, uh, forced by the reality that we have today and that we might face in the, in the future again. Right? For me personally, university was the place where I just uh, met a lot of new people and improved my like the social skills and communication skills by going to different projects. But in terms of skills, like uh, copywriting, doing podcasts, everything, it's yeah, digital. So you yeah, yeah, but you, don't need you, to can te- you can teach yourself that when you're 14. I think that's also what we go into the trend that the, the hardcore skills of coding or you, you can even learn them much before, but it's how to be how do we teach the critical thinking? Yeah. Uh, that when we are half the time online and, and surrounded by all this information, how do we teach? How do we coach uh, this? How do we socialize when we are online with different rules, different models? Uh, and I think that's the challenge, right? How do we do debates? How do we do negotiation? You don't do any of those things in high schools today in very advanced ones, yes, right? So all of that, supposedly, you have to learn it in, in, in universities, which were t- teaching you hardcore skills that they will become completely useless three months later because yeah. you never use them again, right? So now you can learn those online or when you're in high school even. Uh, but what we need to learn is the critical thinking capability, is those software skills that 20 years later you said, oh my God, that's what I learned 20 years ago. That was the, I thought, you know, accounting was useful Process management was useful. So no, the only thing that was useful was organizational behavior or anything that has to do with the soft part of managing people, because that's the one part that you're going to have until you retire. Is you're dealing with people. Maybe the future with people are robots, but still, you need to learn how to do, how to interact on that sense, right? Exactly. Yeah. One last question that we ask to everybody uh, is, uh, what would be your advice to people who want to jump into the startup field? Like you have talked a lot about like, yeah, people uh, are thinking about startup world as like something different, but it's actually uh, much harder to be here. But people who really have an idea and the passion to start, but perhaps they're shy or they cannot, uh, you know, have this first step. Uh, what what would uh, you advise these people to? Like, yeah, in mind, first of all? yeah the, the first advice actually, allow me to go against your, your statement, is that you don't need an idea to be an entrepreneur, yeah. right? Idea is almost nothing. Everything is about the execution, right? So don't let not having an idea stop you, you know? So go to hackathons, join a, any company in early stage and test is that what you want to do, right? The same thing about don't let the title, oh, I just want to be entrepreneur from the CEO, who cares when you have nothing, right? Yeah. Be there. So to me, it's join a real startup uh, as soon as possible in whatever role to learn if that's something that you like, right? So I always have a, one of my colleagues, one of my partners, Farid, I always say, you know, Christopher, there was one thing you told me when uh, four years ago when you were pitching to me. This one was, I want my kids to say, hey, you have a passion about music, hey, this is a music startup, go and test it, right? You have a passion about medicine, this is a medtech startup, go and test it, right? So to me, it's like, whatever past field you're passionate about, join a startup in that field. Since you are 12, 13, 14, 
and really find out, hey, the, is the startup what I want? And is that the vertical that I like and I'm passionate about, right? And then the second one is, is spend way more time finding co-founders than finding ideas, right? So I think that if you find people you like to work with, you can have 20 different ideas to work with the people. So ideas, again, ideas are nothing. What you want is a team that is passionately working together and then find an idea that together they're passionate to take forward. I think a good team carries everybody forward. I think that's the key. And then you might find the wrong team and then you learn, ah, it didn't work because A, B, and C. So you know what the next team should be, right? So it's all, and you discover also what's your, your challenges, your weaknesses, because maybe then the team, it was the right team, you were the wrong person for that team. So it also allows you to self-discover where do I fit? What kind of team do I look like? What kind of leader I want to be or I want to follow? And I think that's a journey, right? So to me, it's go and do. You know, MVP yourself, MVP yourself <laughs> as much as possible. Do you, go and do, fail 10 times, make it cheap to fail because right now it's very cheap to fail, right? And then when you find something that you find the, the team, the passion there, then go all in. Then just don't look back and go all in. Uh, yeah, and have fun. Yeah. Whatever you do, you have to have fun. I agree, yeah. This is, uh, I think, the same too. It's game of execution. So just go, do it, fail. Don't be afraid to fail. Do it again, fail again, do it again, fail again. <laughs> anyway. The only failure in life, no, there are two failures in life. Yeah. One is that you don't try to do something that you're passionate about yeah. because you're afraid. So that's failure number one. Failure number two is that you actually don't learn for something that went wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, and those are the only two failures in life. The, well, death, and we'll see that that's the failure or that's maybe something better, but we don't know, we can't talk about it, right? So to me, yeah, so this mythify failure, yes. Don't, don't stop the risk or the perception uh, from doing what you want to do. All right. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, I think it was very interesting to hear all about uh, your startup experiences, startup wise guys, uh, the book, most importantly, really looking forward to read it. Um, thank you very much for being our guests. Thank you, Cha. Thank you to you guys. Hopefully it was useful. Looking forward to, to see myself in the, in the episode. And, you know, anything anybody wants, you know, send me an email, very active, mostly in LinkedIn. Uh, you know, we're here to help the ecosystems and to help the, the entrepreneurs become founders and build great international tech companies. So, you know, that's what we want to do. So, thank you. Thank you for listening. See you next time. Thanks for listening. Follow us on your favorite social media and check out the next episode. Ta-da!